Yeah, I've been uh, uh, thinking about a verse for a while that's been kicking around. You know, like when a phrase that you know from Scripture just comes to mind and it just kind of rattles around for a while. And uh, yeah, it was maybe two weeks ago. Uh, the phrase, um, the word of God is living and active and full of power, like a double-edged sword, that verse. And uh, it was just like, what are, you, what are you saying in this? What are, you, what, are you trying to, what are you trying to get through to me? You know, like when, when you just kind of get stuck in something and it's like a, an opportunity just to like, it's like, um, this isn't like an answer. This isn't like a challenge. It's like there's something you want to open up in this. And so I've sort of been sitting in, in this verse for a couple of weeks and I want to want to share about it this morning. So let's, let's read that verse to, to start off. It's Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. I mean, for me, are you ever surprised when, when I don't, I don't know if this happens to other people, but this happens to me a lot. I know a line of a verse that's hidden in my heart. I've held on to the truth of that verse or whatever the case might be. But number one, I have no idea where it is. Couldn't tell you the reference. And number two, have no idea the context in which that truth was being delivered. I have that truth, but I'm not sure what surrounds it. That was the case for me with this one. And I think as much this morning as we want to reflect on this particular verse and what it has to say, I think the fullness of it is opened up when we grab what's around it and go, that's what you're applying this to? But anyway, let's look at this verse first. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing, and effective. I mean, that, 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 that just to begin with, the word of God is living, active, and full of power, making it oper operative, energizing, and effective. So like when you think about that, it's like, you know, two forms of the word of God, the written word of God, the revealed word of God, spoken word of God, both carry a power. They are living and active and full of power, making them oper operative, energizing, and effective. The things that God has spoken, the truths that he has given to us, the revelations that he releases to us, these are powerful and living and active and effective. And, and it's like these are the things which are spoken from his mouth have the opportunity to create powerful outcomes. Wow. I mean, that in and of itself is just like, let's just sit in that for a minute. I think we breeze by these things and we go, yes, the word of God is powerful. Thank you. Let's move along. It's like, no, that is a huge and, and enormous reality to consider even of itself. And, and he goes on to describe in what way it's powerful. And I think this characterizes it even further. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit, the completeness of a person, and, both, and of both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, so he's now characterizing the power, the active, full of power nature of the word of God, and he's, he's pointing to an internal power. You know, I think sometimes when we think of the power of the word of God, we're like, you know, let there be light. Boosh, and then there was light. He spoke it out and the power of God created it and accomplished it. But in this context, in this verse, he's talking about its power to accomplish something within us. 
He says the power of this word of God is operative and effective and energizing in penetrating to the deepest parts of who you are and dividing soul and spirit. Well, what's that a picture of? Well, that's me and him. You know, this powerful word of God can penetrate even to the point of demonstrating for me within myself what's him and what's me. Well, we need that, right? We need that. And he says, is it powerful in exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart? It's like this powerful word of God is capable of getting to very deepest parts of what's motivating, propelling, and, and, and demonstrating my life. The intentions of my heart can be revealed by the powerful, active, operative, effective word of God. That's an internal working power penetrating to the very depths of who I am. Oh, that's a, that's a beautiful passage. But honestly, like, I mean, I, I wanted to just stop there. Oh, thanks, Jesus. That's wonderful. You know, let's get to the depths of the intentions of my heart. And he's like, no, I need you to go read what's around this. And, and the, the incredible thing is that as I looked at what's around this, this whole passage is, is talking about rest. We find this truth about the powerful, effective, operative word of God penetrating to the depths of who I am, judging the very intentions of my heart, dividing soul and spirit. We find this in the, mixed of, in the midst, in fact, at the culmination of a discourse that Paul is teaching on rest. Well, let's look at the two verses around it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10 to 13. For the one who has once entered his rest has also, sorry, for the one who, gee, I'm tripping over this verse. This must be a good one. For the one who has once entered his rest has also rested from the weariness and pain of his human labors, just as God rested from those labors uniquely his own. Let us therefore make every effort to enter the, that rest of God to know and experience it for ourselves so that no one will fall by, the, by following the same example of disobedience as those who died in the wilderness. For the word of God is living and active and powerful, making it operative, energizing and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit, the completeness of a person, and of both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. And not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight, but all things are open and exposed and revealed to the eyes of him with whom we have to give account. Okay. So he's talking at the beginning of this passage about this picture of rest and let us enter into, let's make every effort to enter into this rest of God to experience it for ourselves. So no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience as those who died in the wilderness. That's like this curious piece. That's like, what is he talking about? What's, what is the wilderness story that he's talking about? What is this see to it that none of us take example after this path that, that refuses the rest? Let's make every effort. I mean, rest and effort don't feel like the same thing. You know, like let's make every effort to enter into his rest. What does that look like? 
And so I started to read a bit further afield in this passage to go, okay, he's, he's referencing the wilderness story. Like what, what's a bit broader? And so I went back to the chapter preceding and I read Hebrews chapter three. In Hebrews chapter three, again, he's talking in basically the whole passage about uh, in that whole chapter about the rest for which God has for believers. So let's, let's read Hebrews chapter three, verse seven to 11. Now this is Psalm 95, the words of David being quoted by Paul. So Paul is referencing Psalm 95 in this passage. He's making his point using scripture from Psalm 95. And it says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, this is Paul saying, just as the Holy Spirit said through David, these words today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as your fathers did in the rebellion of Israel at Meribah. I mean, let's just pause there for a second. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I mean, that's a, those are good words. Today, this day, Sunday, today, this moment you find yourself in, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Well, that's a good truth. What an invitation. Do not harden your hearts as your fathers did in, re in the rebellion of Israel at Meribah. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing my forbearance and tolerance and saw my works for 40 years. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing my forbearance and tolerance and saw my works for 40 years and found I stood their test. Therefore, I was angered with this generation. And I said, they always go astray in their heart. And they did not know my ways, nor become progressively better and more intimately acquainted with them. So I swore an oath in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest, the promised land. I mean, this is a, I mean, it's an interesting framing of this story that's being referenced. They shall not enter my rest. Well, what happened? I mean, he says it in this, he says that uh, for 40 years, they saw my works. So that was the wilderness journey, right? So the parting of the Red Sea, the water coming from the rock, the manna from heaven, the fire that was leading them during the night, the cloud by day. These were the works of God that the people tested for God to prove himself. And he said, and I stood their test. God's saying, I stood their test and proved myself on their behalf. But their hearts always went astray. They did not know my ways or become better or more intimately acquainted with them. So I swore an oath in my wrath, they will never enter my rest. Gosh. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's the invitation. And, and the culmination of it is this story of the wilderness. Well, let, let's carry on reading in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16 to 19. For who were they who heard and yet provoked him with rebellious acts? This is Paul now referencing this scripture that was just read. He's unpacking it for us. For who were they who heard and yet provoked him with rebellious act? Was it not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? 
And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose dead bodies were scattered, scattered in the desert? And to whom did he swear an oath that they would not enter his rest, but to those who disobeyed, those who would not listen to his word? So we see that they were not able to enter into his rest, the promised land, because of unbelief and an unwillingness to trust God. I mean, it's, that's, it's pretty, pretty clear. I don't know that I have previously made a, a connection between rest and trust. But there it is. He's saying they were robbed of rest. They were unable, not able to enter into his rest because of unbelief and an unwillingness to trust God. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Trusting the words of God for our lives to be life is rest. It's, you know, what an incredible picture that in, in belief in who he is and in a willingness to trust him, I receive rest. I, I mean, maybe, maybe you look at the story of the Israelites and you think, yes, enter into the promised land. I mean, you, you, the spies went in, right? Let's think about the story. The spies went in and they said, there's giants in the land. All the cities are populated. There's huge beasts, beastly people, and, and they're going to kill us. And Jesus is saying, my picture was trust me and believe in who I am because I've proved myself to you. Now enter into my rest. Well, do you know when the next generation went in, do you remember the first story that happens when they enter into the promised land? Well, first of all, they cross the Jordan. What happens when they cross the Jordan? The waters back up, right? The same as the Red Sea did. And so he's saying, hey, I'm with you. I'll make a way. So he makes a way and they walk in on dry ground, cross a flooding river. Wonderful. Next story, Jericho. Hey, let's conquer this huge fortified city by walking around singing. Belief and trust in God accomplished the rest of God in the people of God that he would deliver to them the promise of God. He did it. He said, if you will believe in me and trust in me, I will accomplish what only I can accomplish. And that will be rest to your soul that you could have permission to stare at an occupied land full of giants and know that my God's going to deliver it in our hands because he, he parted the Red Sea. He provided manna in the wilderness. Remember the fire that he led us by. Remember the cloud that he led us by. Our God will act on our behalf. Let's go and see what he has for us in this place. That's rest. I mean, I look at that and I go, I'll be terrified. Faith equals terror. How many of us think a journey of faith and trust equals terror? <laughs> Oh my gosh, what's he going to ask us to do next? What's he going to, what's he, what cliff is he going to force us off of next? It's like, no, he's demonstrating himself to us. It's like this opportunity to believe and trust. Faith is not terror. It's trust that he will do what he's done again. Yeah, I'm going to sing it. No, I'm not going to sing it. Walking around these walls. All right, that's enough. But it's like, yeah, that's it. We're going to see him do it again. That's the belief and trust. We're going to see him do it again. Oh, rest for my soul that my God is powerful and able to accomplish this. When you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Oh. All right. I find the term hard heart hard. I find it hard to get my head around. 
I don't know if you do. I find it a little bit like, well, what's that? What is the hardening of my heart? What is that? When I hear the voice of God today, do not harden your heart. What does it look like to harden my heart? Or contrastly, not to harden my heart. I think, let's pause here because I think that this is a key bit for us. And let, let's chuck this out to the rooms and go, what does it look like to harden our heart? Or conversely, not to harden our heart. E either way, you, you choose which angle you want to come at it from. But we'll take about 10 minutes, wrap up the thought that you're on and come back together. Give us a wave if you're kind of done and refocused. Oh, got a few waves happening. Got a few people who I would rather listen to Carlana than myself, so I can completely understand. If you guys want to carry on, that would be okay with me. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, for us, you know, I feel like it's different things for different ones of us, you know, and our hard heart responses. You know, they, they have a feeling, they have a, they have a emotiveness to them, but I find the term hard heart a little bit hard to like personalize. And so I sat in it and I'm like, oh, what is this? And, and, uh, and one of the things I did was I went up and looked up like meanings of the, the phrase hard heart. And one of the things that I think characterized it really well, uh, as, as I looked at it was, um, obstinance. Just like, in, you know, when a single word just kind of like characterizes it. And so then I looked up the, the meaning of obstinance and, and it means stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or chosen course of action despite attempts to persuade one to do so. It's like, that's pretty, pretty accurate, hard heart disposition or self-reliant resistance. Ooh. I mean, and when I start to look at that in light of this passage that says today, when you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Don't dig your heels in. Don't stubbornly refuse to change your opinion or course of action. Don't self-reliantly resist. It just kind of opens it up for me. It's like, yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing self-reliant resistance, stubborn refusal to change one's opinion or course of action, despite my God's attempts to change my course of action or opinion. When the voice of God is seeking to change my course of action or opinion, and I become self-reliantly resistant, it's like, no matter what you say, this ain't changing. And it's like, that's kind of the people of Israel standing there on the edge of the promised land. God's like, I have done so much to persuade you that you could trust me to enter this rest I have for you. But they refused to believe and were unwilling to trust, as the scripture says. They refused to be persuaded by the efforts that God had made in the life of this people to take hold of his rest, believe and step in. And it's like, when you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. Don't, do not self-reliantly resist because he's persuading us into rest. It's like when I, when I think about this, it's like, you know, this notion of, um, oh, I better start a timer. I'm going to be in big trouble today, especially. Uh, if, um, you know, when, when you consider this idea of trust being rest, I, I sort of focused on it for a minute and was like, you know what? 
when I self-reliantly resist, it's on me. There is no rest in that. I have chosen my path and I need to make it happen. It's on me. But when I willingly choose to believe and trust, I'm trusting him. He's going to do it. He's going to accomplish it. And I can rest. I can rest in that. You know, I can imagine staring at the walls of Jericho going, oh my gosh, we need like, we need like massive cannonballs and we need, you know, demolition equipment that we don't have. And we need, we don't have any of this. I mean, if I'm there in a self-reliant resistance, that's my wall to tear down. But if I've gotten there because I trust and believe in him, it's his wall to tear down. And if he says, blow the trumpet and sing a song, who am I to argue? Maybe, just maybe, he doesn't need a bulldozer. Maybe he just needs worship. I mean, it's just messed up, right? But that's a place of rest. Okay, so this is yours to accomplish? Oh, yeah, I'm going to fight this battle. I'm going to clear this land of the giants. All right, let's, let's, let's look at this idea of, of a hardness of heart in a few scriptures. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 says, so this I say and solemnly affirm together with the Lord as, as in his presence that you must no longer live as the unbelieving Gentiles live in the futility of their minds and in the foolishness and emptiness of their souls for their moral understanding is darkened and their reasoning is clouded. They are alienated and self-banished, self-banished alienated and self-banished from the life of God with no share in it. This is because of the willful ignorance and spiritual blindness that is deep-seated within them because of the hardness and insensitivity of their heart. That's a sentence and a half. James, I'm flagging this one for you again. Leave me alone with the heart journey sentences. They're all half that length. But it's like, let's look, let's look at what this says, you know, in the futility of their minds. So my own thinking has a futility to it. It has limitations. It doesn't see the whole picture. It doesn't have all of the, the, the arrows in the quiver of God of how to win this battle are not clear to my mind. There's a futility in my own thinking and the foolishness and the emptiness of my soul. You know, am I darkened in my reasoning and clouded? Have I alienated myself and self banished myself from the life of God? Because I'm self-reliantly resisting. Because I am obstinately, stubbornly refusing to have my way or opinion changed. Despite the efforts of a God to change it. In the hardness and insensitivity of our heart, we find ourselves in a self-banished position. I'm back in the wilderness. But not because there wasn't a promise of rest. It's because I've chosen to stick to my way. It's like, wow, wow. I suppose the difficulty of this is to see it for ourselves. You know, to see the places where the word of God has come and offered life and a path of rest to me and I've refused it. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, the words of, words of Jesus who's, who's quoting a prophecy in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 29, 13 is a bit of an expansion of this, but Jesus is quoting this 
this prophecy of Isaiah, uh, where, he's, where he's speaking to the people of his current moment, uh, reflecting on the words of this prophecy in, in Hebrews 15, uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, which says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. It goes on to talk about that, but it's like, you know, sometimes I think we believe what comes out of our own mouths and don't reflect on the resistance that's, that's in our heart. You know, we're talking about something that goes deeper than what I say. And my actions reflect my heart disposition, not my vocalization. You know, I think we could find ourselves in this. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. God, let that not be true of us. That when we hear your voice, that we wouldn't harden our hearts and therefore find ourselves far from you with our hearts with our lips honoring you. In Luke chapter 16, verse 15, says, so he said to them, this is Jesus again. I mean, Jesus is a bit of a straight shooter, isn't he? I don't know. I've said before, I'm not sure if Jesus came back, if I'd be prepared to, to roll with this cat. He, he, he doesn't pull too many punches. Luke chapter 16, verse 15, he says, so he said to them, you are the ones who declare yourselves just and upright in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts, your thoughts, your desires, your secrets. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. I mean, I guess this is just another picture of Jesus saying, it doesn't matter how it appears to you. It's like this back to this passage that says the word of God is powerful and effective and operative in revealing the intentions of the heart. We need this. We need to hear from him. We need to see what he sees. We need his powerful word to deal with my internal environment because the problem with this is, is that what is esteemed among men can be detestable to God. Maybe everyone in my world says, this is awesome. This is fantastic. You're amazing. How wonderful your life is. How good you are. But if it's detestable before God because of the intention of my heart, I'm in trouble ultimately. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 2 says, Every man's way is right in his own eyes. Amen. I am right. Every man's ways is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs and examines the hearts of people and their motives. It doesn't matter if it's right to you. What's his voice saying? And am I stubbornly refusing and self-reliantly resisting his persuasion to change my opinion or course? Hmm. You know, that, that, that reflection in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, about the, about the power of this word of God, the voice of God, to penetrate so deeply into my life and expose the intentions of my heart. I need that. Oh, I need that. God, when that voice comes, let me not harden my heart and resist. Hmm. So let's come back to this idea of rest. Let's, let's try and connect this up because that place of stubborn internal resistance is exhausting and it refuses the way of God to accomplish the purpose of God and the path of God for your life. It refuses it. It says no. And I end up back in the wilderness. 
struggling, not in the purpose of God to reveal himself to me, that we could take hold of the things of God, but back there because I refused the rest. In Hebrews chapter four, verse one to three, coming back to this passage. So this is, this is a, a scripture which is preceding by 12 verses, the sword verse that I was sitting in. Hebrews chapter four, verse one to three. This is after the bit that we've just read about the Israelites and the promise and the no rest for you because you don't trust me. Hebrews chapter four, verse one to three. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still remains and is freely offered to you today. Okay, well, that's good news, right? The promise of entering his rest still remains and is freely offered to you today. Let us fear in case any one of you may seem to come short of reaching it or think he has come too late. For indeed, we have the good news of salvation preached to us, just as the Israelites also, when the good news of the promised land came to them. We have the truth of this gospel. We have this faith-filled invitation to trust the voice of God and take faith for the life he has for us. We have this message of salvation that the life of Jesus Christ has come to bring life and a life to the full. This is the gospel message that he has come. He has taken root in my life. He is the source of all things. He is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the message we have. We have it. We have it. We have this invitation as the Israelites had the invitation of enter into my promised land. He's paralleling this, that the promised land of our generation is the salvation message which we've been given that the life of Christ is the way. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. This is the good news we have. And he says, just as the Israelites had the invitation into the promised land, we have our invitation. We have our truth. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not united with faith in God by those who heard. For we who believe, that is we who personally trust and confidently rely on God, enter that rest. So we have his inner peace now because we are confident in our salvation and assured of his power. Wonderful. How good is that truth? The message didn't benefit them because it wasn't united with a faith-filled trust in the God whom they had heard from. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For we who believe, that is, who personally trust and confidently rely on God, enter that rest. My faith-filled Trust and obedience releases the rest of Jesus Christ into my situation, my circumstance, my moment, and in fact, my entire existence. The power of God will accomplish the purposes of God in my life. I am not alone. He is worthy of my trust, worthy of my confident, faith-filled obedience, and what he says I will do. Rest. How many of us look at that as our, as our next greatest challenge to accomplish? That our faith-filled path is our road of terror. No, no, no. No, the self-reliant resistance to the path of God should be our road of terror. Because then it's on you. But when you step into the word of God for your life, you step into the power of God to accomplish it. 
for the, the, the word of God is living and active, right? This is the verse we're focused on today. Able to effectively accomplish is operative. It is able to accomplish. Praise God. When he speaks, he's going to do it. That's the rest I get to enter into in trusting him. Hebrews chapter 10, sorry, Hebrews chapter 4, continuing on in this passage as it just opens up to us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10 to 13, continuing on in this chapter. For the one who has once entered his rest has also rested from the weariness and pain of his human labors. This is our core passage. Just as God rested from those labors uniquely his own, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves, so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience as those who died in the wilderness. For the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit. The completeness of a person and both joints and marrow, the deepest part of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. And not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight, but all things are open and exposed and revealed to the eyes of him whom we have to give an account. This invitation of entering into rest is about trusting his word to reveal the intentions of my heart and to deal so fully with me but to trust him to accomplish the full plan of God. It's not on me when I'm following his voice. And the parts of me that stubbornly resist and refuse to have their way or opinion altered, despite his pursuit to do so, the obstinate, self-reliant resistance within me to let the voice of God in my trust of him, I trust you more than I trust me. I mean, that's a wrestle. That's a hard heart wrestle. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30 says, come to me. This is our invitation. This is our invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened by religious rituals that provide no peace. And I will give you rest, refreshing your souls with salvation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as a disciple, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, renewal, blessed, quiet for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. Man, the enemy twists that on us a lot. Oh, who has enough strength to follow Jesus? Who would be up for that? Too hard, too much, too scary asks too much of me, right? Which gets twisted on us, doesn't it? The truth of the matter is the most exhausting path is the self-reliant path. That is the path that knows no rest to refuse the invitation of God and the word of God. I mean, you look at this promised land picture and you go, what's going to be better? Stay in the wilderness or go fight for the promised land? I mean, logically, I'd say, let's go camping. Forget about the, oh, man, the mountain's not so bad. I don't know, them guys are scary. But we know how that story played out in the second round. What incredible and overwhelming elation would have occurred when the walls of Jericho fell and the people fleed. It's ours. He's delivered this city into our hands. Well, how many Jericho moments are we missing in our own lives because we look at it and we go, I'm not up for that. 
That's too much for me. Whoever said it was on you? It's our invitation to confidently trust in his nature. Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened by religious rituals that provide no peace, and I will give you rest. That's a promise. Come to me. Don't do it your own way. What's religion? Trying hard to keep the rules. Do it as best I can. It's all on me. He's saying, let all that go. Come to me. I'm going to give you rest, refreshing your souls with salvation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as my disciple, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest, renewal, blessed quiet for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, my burden is light. Thank you, Jesus, that you accomplish it. And what you put on me fits me. Can we trust that today? Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not stubbornly, self-reliantly resist. Let's allow our way and our opinion and our chosen path to be altered by the voice of God that's releasing rest to us as he accomplishes the way he sets out. Yes, there are going to be fortified cities. Yes, there are going to be battles that are too big for you to fight. But what a wonderful, encouraging picture we have today to say, it's not on me. When he says he's going to do it, I enter into the power of God to effectively accomplish the word of God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter into his rest, the promised land, because of unbelief and an unwillingness to trust God. Is an unwillingness to trust God robbing us of the voice of God's invitation into rest today? In what ways is an unwillingness to trust robbing me of rest? John chapter 14, verse 1, last verse, kicking it out. Done pretty good, Curtis. I did all right, Tom Wise. You told me I was going to be like an hour today. I didn't do it. John chapter 14, verse 1 says, Do not let your heart be troubled, afraid, cowardly. Believe confidently and trust in him. Have faith. Hold on to it. Rely on it. Keep going and believe also in me. This is Jesus. Don't let your heart be troubled, afraid, or cowardly. Believe confidently in God and trust in him. Have faith. Hold on to it. Rely on it. Keep going. And believe also in me. This is the way of rest. Keep going. Trust him. Trust him. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. All right, let's kick this out to our homes, our groups, have a bit of a chat around this idea of the rest that comes in willingly trusting what the voice of God would release to us. All right, thanks. Catch you soon. <laughs>